This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Joining me today, my name is Judy Cho, and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I work with clients to get to root cause healing. Oftentimes, it means gut healing with a meat based elimination diet. So, today I had the opportunity to sit down with Charles Hakala. He runs the Hakala Labs, where they do a lot of testing on iodine and bromide and chloride and fluoride. So, a lot of people have asked me after Lynn Farrow's interview, as well as Dr. Brownstein's interview. How much iodine am I supposed to be taking? How much iodine is safe? How should I get tested for iodine? And so I asked Charles to come on and just talk through what's the process? Why do they test? What does even the test、um, incorporate and what does it all mean? And I also just wanted to kind of get his feedback on what he's seen through the years of testing for iodine. Do we all need a little bit of iodine? I hope that this interview helps you to get to that answer. Hey guys, I'm very excited. Today I have with me Charles Hakala.、Uh, we are going to talk about all things iodine testing, why it's even important. So, Charles, thank you so much for joining me today. If you can tell my audience、um, just you know, who you are and like, what you do at the lab. Sure.、Um, my name is Charles Hakala, and we run Hakala Research Lab, which is dedicated to Testing for iodine deficiency and then looking as important as the toxins that interfere with iodine utilization, primarily、uh, bromide and fluoride. So, you know, the, the idea is, is to see what the iodine status is in each patient and then what the toxins are, giving an idea of maybe how long it's going to take to detox. And to get to iodine sufficiency. And then, how did you come up with this testing? And, you know, I've heard from now、um, Lynn Farrow, Dr. David Brownstein, why,、um, you know, getting tested from your lab is kind of the gold standard. So, why is that? You know, why is your test the gold standard?、Um, and, you know, excellent question. The 
iodine testing prior to, oh, maybe 20 years ago or so, when Dr. Guy Abraham, an endocrinologist in California, first started thinking about testing, and I had worked with him previously on a lot of hormone replacement therapy, predominantly natural hormone replacement, and come in with oral dosage forms. So when the iodine project came up, he came to me and said, hey, can you make you know, an iodine formulation that we can use in iodine testing? And at that point, we developed a tablet. We started doing research on iodine and then uh, documenting iodine usage with, first of all, starting with the spot test and then seeing that maybe there was a better way to do it. So the 24-hour test was developed to look at whole body iodine sufficiency. And um, what is the difference between spot testing and then the 24-hour testing? Sure. The spot test looks at one point in time. So you typically collect a a urine sample first thing in the morning and send that in to look at iodine status. Whereas 24-hour testing, you take a loading dose of iodine and it's a 50 milligram load for adults. And then you look at the amount of iodine excreted in that 24-hour period to get an idea of whole body iodine sufficiency. And I think that's the point of the test, looking at whole body rather than just a a quick snapshot. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then how often, I mean, do you have to collect multiple times throughout the day? How does that kind of work? Yes. Um, Typically, you would wake up in the morning and void, and then you would take the 50 milligram loading dose and collect urine for the next 24 hours. And the kits that we provide have all the materials in them, including a reservoir jug to catch all the 24-hour urine collection. At the end of 24 hours, a small sample of that is sent back to us for evaluation. Okay. Wow. Um, 50 milligrams is a lot. So, you know, lately after speaking with Dr. Brownstein and uh, Lynn Farrell, I recommend like between six to eight drops of the 2% Lugols, which... I think it works out to about 12 and a half milligrams. And um, even that for some people, it's a lot and they have a reaction. So uh, 50 milligrams sounds a lot. And I think we can discuss that, but you know, for some people that have never taken iodine, do you recommend, you know, taking that 24 hour test in the very beginning and do some people even react to that? Um, There's always potential for reaction and it depends on the toxic load. And then also if someone is extremely magnesium deficient, you can get rapid heartbeat, things of that nature. It is a rare side effect, but certainly that is possible. If someone is very high in bromide, 50 milligram will push, start pushing excess bromide out of the body. And the bromide side effect is uh, maybe drowsiness or lethargy. So yeah, there is a potential. Over the years, we have not had a problem. But um, Dr. Abraham discovered fairly soon when we started on this project that if if the patient will start on complete nutritional support two weeks before they do the loading test, uh, the side effect profile is nearly non-existent. Okay. And when you say nutritional profile, what are there certain nutrients that they need to take or what? Yes. Um, he developed a, a program called the Ortho Iodo Supplementation Protocol. So 
leaving out the iodine, you would uh, use magnesium, zinc, vitamin C are the most important nutrients along with selenium. Okay. And that just primes the body and it mostly gets over the, the people that are extremely magnesium deficient. So it uh, alleviates that concern of the rapid heartbeat. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, from your years of, um, like, how long have you been doing this? Like uh, doing this testing of the 24 hour, the spot test? Um, we opened the lab in 2007. Okay. But okay. before that, uh, let me think, maybe 10 years before we actually opened the lab, we began the iodine research. And, you know, like all people that look at these high doses of iodine, when we first started, my first uh, tablet was a one milligram. Okay. So, you know, we started very, very cautious as well. Uh, then a very, very intensive review of the literature showed that 12.5 milligram has been used as a safe dose for many, many years. So we moved to 12.5, started doing the research on the testing, found that it was not the most accurate dose. We went to, to 25 milligram and then eventually ended up with a 50 milligram loading dose, which seems to, to be the best of both worlds. Okay. So, um, you know, from all the testing you've done, would you say that most people, and if you even have a percentage possibly that most people are iodine deficient, sufficient, excess, what are your thoughts on that? Um, if someone is not supplementing with iodine, our lab shows that about 90% of the people will be deficient. Wow. And I know in David Brownstein's book, he says 95 or more percent. And I know when I talked to him, and maybe he, he shared with you that he thinks everybody is iodine deficient. So, you know, and I would say 90 plus percent. It's very rare to find someone that is sufficient in iodine unless they've been supplementing. And when you say supplementing, what if they're consuming iodized salt? Is that enough? Um, no, that will not do it. Okay. Uh, what if they're eating natural foods that have iodine? So, you know, like shellfish is one, maybe some kelp. Um, so no supplementation, but at least getting those foods in maybe every day, maybe every few days. Would that be sufficient? I'm sure, I guess never say never, but in our experience, it, it is not enough. Okay. And the, so, the reason being is our data shows that if somebody shows up iodine deficient, it takes 50 milligrams a day for two to three months to reach wow. sufficiency. So in order to get sufficient from a dietary standpoint, it just is very, very difficult. Wow. Um, so I typically have my clients on the 12 and a half. Sometimes they move up to even maybe the 25. It's not as common, but I mean, I think there's like one client that moved up to the 50, but it's not as common. So mm -hmm. in your labs, do you see that 50 seems to be kind of good to get, like, it sounds like you're saying it takes about the 50 milligrams to get, um, you know, well saturated for about a few months. And then maybe what would be like a kind of, a maintenance dose, or is there even such a thing? That's also a tough question. But with the, the supplementation protocol that Dr. Abraham developed and Dr. Brownstein uses, you start with 12.5 milligrams a day for one week, and then you double it. So 
25 milligrams for another week, and then 37.5 for the third week, and then 50 milligram for the fourth week, and staying on 50 milligrams for the three-month total, and then retesting to see where you are. You know, and keeping in mind, if you start increasing dose and you start feeling maybe a detox reaction or not quite up to snuff, you know, stay at that dose or back off a little bit. So everybody's a little bit different from a detox level. So that's the reason for the increasing dose over a a relatively long period of time. You just don't want somebody to start 50 milligram and run into a problem. So that gently increasing the dose over the month timeframe seems to be best. Although, you know, it varies with uh, doctor's office to doctor's office. Some people start out with 50 milligram and away they go. Other people are a little more cautious and start out with 12.5. Okay. And once they kind of, so let's say they were taking the 50 milligrams for a while, then they, you know, take one of your lab tests and they show sufficiency. Um, and let's say just the bromide is, you know, not at the levels where it's not in excess and even the um, chloride or the fluoride. Sure. Out, then should they stay on the 50? Should they go down to 12 and a half? Like what have you seen? And I know it will vary by individual, but in general, have you seen a kind of a good coasting dose? Um, 12.5 to 25 milligrams seems to be a good maintenance dose. Although we talk to a lot of people that say, Hey, I feel better on 50 milligrams. So they just continue on fifties. Yeah. I think in Lynn Farrell's book, um, there was all these doses, some were really high and then, yeah, some of them seem to end up at the hundred or 50. And, um, because I don't do, you know, I have to basically my clients, it's voluntary if they want to do your testing. And so I don't know for sure. And so I always kind of take the more conservative approach by leaving it at 12 and a half, but I bet some of my clients would do better with it just because, you know, it affects your thyroid. I mean, iodine, so, you know, with that thought, why, why do you think that so much mainstream and even some of the naturopathic doctors are in this belief that, you know, iodine is something really dangerous and we should be really careful that it may cause hyperthyroid and just ruin your thyroid health when in reality we may actually need it. So why do you think that's kind of the narrative? Um, I think old habits are hard to break. You know, that that's the information they learned in medical school. And I guess the, the bottom line that we found over the years, when following the, the iodine supplementation protocol, people feel better. And I guess that's the bottom line. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, if you think of the iodine dose that has been used, you know, in the, within the last 100 years, some of the dosing is up to the gram quantities of iodine. So, you know, the, even though 12.5 or 50 milligrams sounds like a lot relative to what has been used, and there's a, a good review of the literature on our website uh, in our research section that just looks at over the years how much iodine has been used. And just relatively recently, uh, iodine has, quote unquote, become poison. Yeah, um, I, I've seen through a lot of my clients, some of them start with just one drop of the 2%, which I think is like one milligram, like you said. Um, and a lot of my clients see improvements very quickly at just because a lot of my clients have hypothyroid. And, um, you know, we all know that basically T4 is made with protein and iodine. Um, 
if you can kind of talk a little bit about that and just what you've seen with maybe healing with the thyroid in terms of supplementing with iodine. Okay. Um, you know, a, a large percentage of our patients are really subclinical hypothyroid. So a little iodine bump will do a lot to bring them into the normal range. There are some patients that are a little more fragile and not everybody is able to get off their uh, Synthroid or T4 type medicines. So there's always, you know, individual variation, but uh, most of the time people can either get off their thyroid medicine or reduce the amount they're taking. And that's kind of one of the the hallmarks of the, the therapy. Once somebody starts on iodine, if they are on thyroid hormone, if they start getting side effects from the increasing dose of iodine, and most predominantly, it's rapid heartbeat, reducing the amount of thyroid hormone that is taken is the the proper therapy. And so it's important for the patient to work with their healthcare provider or whoever they're getting their T4 from, just so they're aware that the, the dosage may have to be reduced. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. So just plain devil's advocate, um, if I was, you know, a patient and I was taking Synthroid or T4, um, any T4 kind of medication, and then I get on iodine and um, I realize I feel better, but then I started, you know, getting these symptoms. And then I go to my doctor who put me on the T4 and says, what are you doing with the iodine? That's dangerous and that I shouldn't. So how do then I marry that to, you know, you know what I mean? So to get my practitioner to go, okay, actually, maybe you do need less T4 and okay, maybe the iodine's working. I mean, it seems because if old tricks are hard to change, how do you get someone that's still in the old kind of paradigm to adopt my new ways? Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, That can be a very tough issue. Sometimes it's easier to change practitioners, (laughs) Uh, you know, when to be, you know, to really tell the honest truth, but a lot of Doctors are open to this type of therapy. Okay. And I think they're, again, going to our website under the research section. And there's a, an article that is titled The Use of Iodine in the Medical Practice. And it's a great literature review. And it basically goes over why iodine is important and how much to use. Okay. Yeah, that's really that, that would be a great place to start, I think. Okay. And yeah, and I think the more that we are educated and understand some of the science, the literature out there, then we can, I guess, uh, make a better argument to some of the doctors. Um, It's just, I haven't personally found many doctors myself that um, support the excess use of iodine. I've actually seen a lot in even the public social media space where a lot of thyroid doctors are like, you want to be careful with the iodine. And so... um, yeah, I think it would, it, I think it makes sense to change practitioners, but I wonder, you know, like how many doctors are there that are actually um, offering the Synthroid and stuff, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That's, that's the problem is to find a, you know, an alternative medicine or an open-minded 
physician that will work with you. But I think that, you know, even a traditional doc, have them do T3 and T4 blood levels and just see where you are. You know, yeah, that, and that, that brings up the issue of rising TSH levels that some doctors will look at and hit the panic button and not realizing that during iodine therapy, in order to get iodine absorbed over the cell wall, you need a substance called symporter. And symporter is what actually transports iodine across the cell. The only way to stimulate production of symporter is with TSH. Mm. So TSH levels will go up, not everybody, but in uh, you know, a, a considerable portion of the patients, and it will go up very high. You know, it, normal uh, levels are in the single digit. We've seen TSHs go, you know, 100 to 200. Wow. For, and which, go ahead. Which, um, you know, really, if you're, if that was a true number, you probably would not be able to get out of bed. You'd be so fatigued. And most people that are having this symporter effect say, I don't feel anything different. So we know that it is this uh, uh, stimulation of symporter by TSH. That makes sense. So how long after do you think, um, have you noticed that the TSH kind of normalizes where maybe it's not as high and that, you know, our doctors or whoever's running the test don't have to be as alarmed? Three to four months. Okay. Yeah, but I had a... You know, we've had patients that have gone two years with high TSH levels. Okay. So, so would, you, would you base it more on the symptoms and that, um, rather than just the TSH then? Yes, symptoms and lab results of the T3, T4. Right, okay. Yeah, I had a doctor, um, an MD that, she, you know, she's more holistic health and we were talking and she gets, she says she believes in iodine, but she gets really nervous because the TSH skyrockets and then she you know, feels like it's a medical liability for having some people around, but I think this will be really helpful information for her. So thank you for that. Um, So do you, have you seen a lot of people um, with, you know, maybe even if it's um, kind of undiagnosed thyroid imbalances or just hypothyroid that we're able to get off some of the medication and not just the T4 medication, but in general, just even any, even the T4 plus T3 medications uh, once they start really supplementing iodine and maybe even changing their diet? Yes. Okay. You know, and that's kind of an individual thing. And I guess it depends on what conditions they're being treated for. But we have had reports of people being able to reduce doses of, you know, other types of medicines in addition to their thyroid medicine. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about bromide. Um, do you think you know, like, why do we have so much bromide in our bodies? Are most people kind of um, over the threshold of what's considered safe or ideal? Um, it varies. And it seems like from our lab results, it's a seasonal type thing for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there tends to be more bromide in the, the test results in the fall and winter. And that's probably because people are spending more times in their houses and with flame retardants and things of that nature, it makes sense that the bromide level would go up. Okay. And, um, and then as you supplement, if you're, I guess if your bromide is a lot higher, would that kind of amount of iodine need to be higher to then 
one, knock out the bromide, and then two, be able to saturate your own cells with iodine? It seems that that's correct. Right. Yes. So, you know, iodine will help push the bromide out, and you have to have a, you know, a sufficient amount of chloride mm -hmm. to exchange for bromide in the kidney. If somebody is extremely salt deficient or chloride deficient, they will not clear bromide as effectively as somebody that has plenty of chloride in their system. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially because they're all on the same kind of row in the table of elements. So I, that's why I'm a big fan of salt water or soleil water. Um, sure. And so what about in terms of your family? Do you guys all supplement iodine? Um, I'm trying to think of somebody that doesn't. <laughs> no, uh, everybody is on a, you know, a, a iodine replacement therapy. Okay. Um, and then where, you know, you mentioned fire retardants, but what other sources of bromide are there? Brom is there bromide in our foods? There can be, you know, depending on what um, pesticides or herbicides have been sprayed. So it just depends on what the farmers are using. And that's probably a, a good argument to try to do organic when you can. Right. Um, and then what about um, fluoride? Do you think most people have excess fluoride? And then where are we getting the fluoride other than maybe our toothpaste and some of the water? Yeah, toothpaste and, and water are those two big sources, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of plants scavenge toxins out of the soil. Mm -hmm. So somewhere where there's high fluoride content or high mineralization in the soil, the plant normally is going to pick up more fluoride than normal. Um, and teas are notorious because they are such great scavengers of fluoride. So the first place that we look or have our practitioners look if somebody comes back extremely high fluoride is first their water supply. And then if they're a big user of herbal teas or herbs in general, you know, that, you know, those would be the first two places to look to see if for excess fluoride. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I, I wasn't aware of that with the teas, but um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense um, in terms of, you know, getting it from your soils. Um, and so, you know, just to kind of, you know, summarize all that you've been saying is that if I wanted to start iodine, um, maybe I do some of that nutritional therapy with the zinc, the magnesium and the other um, nutrients you mentioned. And then maybe mm -hmm. should I get tested first before I start the iodine? Or do you think I should kind of move up to like maybe the 12 and a half? And then like, what are your thoughts with when should I get tested and then I'm assuming get tested about three months after doing the 50 milligrams, assuming I was, um, you know, I was in need of it. But when sure. should it get tested in the very beginning? Um, I think that if you're a numbers person, you should probably get tested initially. Okay. Um, although we have a lot of practices that don't test because they say everybody's deficient. Yeah. Um, let's get, get on the, the nutritional protocol with iodine and maybe down the road test. I think the, another argument for testing is I think it's important to look at the toxins that are involved, you know, the bromide and fluoride, and that gives you an idea of how long it's going to take to detox somebody. Okay. So I think that maybe iodine is very important but the other things are equally as important. 
And how long do you see typically um, bromide or fluoride um, having to be, you know, um, detoxed? Uh, that depends on, you know, the, the metabolic state of the patient. Okay. If you are heavier and have more body fat, bromide hides in the peripheral fat. Mm-hmm. So as you start to detox, it's going to be a slow process and particular, well, and then I guess on the flip side of that, if you start losing a lot of weight, you will spill a lot more bromide. Okay. That makes sense. Do you see a time frame normally um, of, you know, bromide detoxing? I guess um, in average, on average. Boy, that's a tough one because everybody is going to spill at a different rate. And then if they're continually exposed, whether it's at home or in the workplace, that's going to affect it too. But we will notice, you know, at least having of the bromide numbers within six months. Mm. I think what's hard for me to just logically, you know, not the science, but just logically wrap my mind around is if we need iodine so much, and I'm sure eons ago, no one was supplementing all this iodine, but now we are, you know, it's competing with bromide and chloride and fluoride, but what, like what happened that now we have to supplement iodine and, and now we're also competing with all these kind of competitors and toxins. Uh, I think, you know, a couple things, first off the soil depletion that has been going on in the food supply chain, Mm-hmm. There's just not any iodine left in the soil to be transferred to the food sources. And then our environment is so much more toxic and iodine is such a good detox agent that you just need more iodine, you know, if nothing else to detox the body from the, the chemicals that are being spilled into it. Okay. Have you seen, um, when I spoke with Lynn Farrow, she mentioned that, you know, there are a lot of studies and even for her own journey that, you know, like breast cancer and ovarian cancer has something to do with a deficiency in iodine. Have you seen any kind of stories of that in your lab? And if you can share an example of healing um, just by supplementing iodine, if you know one. Um, You know, it's tough because all our input is anecdotal. And then you have to remember that most times when people are not successful with a therapy, you never hear it. They they don't call back. Whereas people that are happy with their supplement protocol call back and rave about it. So, you know, I think that my look on things is really jaded from that standpoint. So that's a tough one. You get people calling back and said their conditions have improved immensely, but there's so much information that we don't know about the particular case that um, that's a tough, tough thing, tough question to answer. Well, I appreciate your candor. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that'll be like, Oh yeah, it's wonderful. This is like perfect. This is the answer. And I think just being really honest about that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, for some people it may be a miracle. um, And for some people it may just, you know, help their health by a little bit. And so um, do you think that there is a dose that people can overdo? Um, there are people that just worry, am I taking too much iodine? Do you think you can overdo iodine? I think you probably can. I don't know what that point is. 
you know, like you had mentioned, you have talked to people that say 50 or 100 milligrams a day is what they've been taking. And we certainly have a lot of experience with those dosage levels without any problem. We haven't pushed the dose to see if we could get somebody toxic. Um, so I guess that, you know, looking in, in past history where people have taken gram quantities for short periods of time, we feel real comfortable you know, with, with 50, at least 50 milligrams right. as a safe dose. Okay. What about kids? Do you feel that um, kids should take the 50 milligrams? Do you think they should start on a lighter dose? What are your thoughts about kids and supplementing iodine? Um, I don't think 50 milligram is appropriate for, you know, pediatric patients. I guess you have to qualify age you know, of the patient and probably health condition and weight. But, you know, for small children, you know, uh, maybe going with a three and a eighth milligram or, you know, even 6.25 when they get a little bit older okay. is certainly okay. But I don't think with children I'd go above 6.25. Okay, okay. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, do you, when you are taking iodine, like say, let's say long-term, do we have to do all those kind of companion supplements? So like the selenium, the salt water, um, some people say vitamin C, you know, the magnesium, do we have to mm -hmm. do all of those together all the time or can iodine kind of stand on its own after a while? Um, I think that, you know, that, that iodine certainly is a part of the program, but I think you have to be on a complete nutritional program. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, the ortho supplementation program that Dr. Abraham developed seems to be a good one. Uh, I would certainly add vitamin D to that protocol. And, okay. you know, then, uh, you know, per individual preference, but I think that the original protocol plus vitamin D makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I will put all of your, the lab information and, um, you know, where to kind of get tested and how they can access that all through the show notes. Um, if people had a question about your, you know, the lab testing, um, even the whole kind of process of getting the, their, their iodine results to you, how would, you know, where can they search for that? Um, they could go to the, the website, hacklalabs.com. And there's phone number and contact information. So, you know, we can either be called or emailed and we're happy to get back to people and answer their questions. Okay. One last question is, do you think that people should test every three months or, you know, let's say they're on a maintenance dose. Do you think they need to continually test once a year or do you think they're kind of good or go by their symptoms? Um, you know, I don't think that testing more often than once a year you know, once you get on a maintenance dose really makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that it would be better off to spend your money on supplements rather than testing. Okay. So, right. you know, once a year probably is the uh, quickest that I would retest. And then again, you know, if you're starting to detox and you suspect that you're spilling bromide or fluoride, then, you know, testing certainly would be in order. But as a general rule, I think once a year is is satisfactory. Can you actually get acute 
toxins from bromide or fl- and fluoride, or is it just kind of chronic low-dose amounts? Um, generally, what we see is chronic low-dose amounts. You know, there's always an exception. Um, generally, with the water that is supplemented in the uh, communities around the country, you will get about oh, less than a milligram spilled in a 24-hour period. And even that is too much, but we have seen levels as high as 20 or 30 milligrams being spilled in a a 24 hour period. And that's, you know, really, really critical to get on top of something like that because the the effects mentally from too much fluoride and, you know, uh, the the worry of bone cancers from fluoride certainly exist. So I guess it's a matter of degrees. If you have a lot, uh, be more concerned than if you have a little. And does, is the only way to detox both of those kind of iodine or is there other mechanisms? Um, we have been working over the years with trying to, to figure out other things that work. Um, we have tested varying dose of boron mm-hmm. and sometimes it pushes fluoride and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Um, then I really haven't had any luck with other products you know, any, uh, not as much luck as we do with iodine. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think it's so important to have this iodine discussion because I mean, one, there's just so much misinformation out there. And then two, I mean, you're providing a resource where people can confirm their amounts in their system. And then if they have any of the extra bromide chloride and fluoride, and I think it's such a wonderful test, people send them um, your results all the time. And one thing I'll say is people always tell me how um, great your customer service is. So I just wanted you guys well, to you. know that your lab is known to be um, a great place. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. And um, yeah, I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks a lot, Judy. Okay, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this interview. I hope you realize that iodine is not something to be scared of and that it's actually really important for our health. Now, we may need other minerals as iodine is technically a mineral, so we may need other minerals to ensure that we are balanced, but I'd often consider taking iodine. Most of my clients supplement with some amounts of iodine, so obviously find what works for you. Find a practitioner, and let me know if you find one too, but find a practitioner that is supportive of taking iodine and maybe getting off some of your thyroid medication. Let me know if this works for you because I'm definitely interested. So Hakala Labs was gracious enough to give us 10% off if we decide to do testing after this interview. You can go to my website. The link will be in the show notes um, where you can buy the test. All right, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Consider some iodine supplementation and take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.